I'm Catherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. Today, I'm speaking with K.J. Ramsey, therapist and author of This Too Shall Last. K.J. lives with an illness that causes her body to be in constant pain. This condition has lasted for years without reprieve. She's also had substantial experience with spiritual abuse. I have a space in my heart that knows I'm loved even if I'm not healed. We're talking about the difficult subjects related to the church often ones no one talks about. The question we're asking today is, how comfortable is the church with suffering? Is the church a safe place to be in pain? What if that suffering and pain continues to linger with no end in sight? I'm great with talking about that too. Yeah, let's do it. It'll be fun to see where we go. I am super excited. Maybe we can start with this part in your book up. So I'm gonna start with this, okay? Okay. This is from the chapter, the one about being in Christian community. How many times have I bawled in church? How sharply have I felt the searing heat of unhealed pain when the gospel accounts of Jesus' healing ministry are read? How many times have I been asked by well-meaning Christians, have you prayed for healing? As though in decades of disease, I've never thought to ask God to take away my pain. I resonated so much with that paragraph. Yes. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. Talk about your experiences of people, people's interaction with your pain. Good experiences, bad experiences. Yeah. Well, since you started with one of the bad ones, that is a common response that I have received for my, especially for my physical pain, but I think also regarding spiritual abuse and the lingering losses there. People seem to have often no other way to come toward us than to fix and to try to alleviate pain. So healing, you know, coming towards someone with the request to ask for healing, it, it feel to them maybe feels like being loving, but it is often it's often an expression of their own anxiety about where you're at and a lack of consideration of your story just to cons- to think about that perhaps you've been living in this body and in this story for a long time and are a human with a heart who wasn't made to live in pain and would perhaps think to pray god help me I don't know, perhaps, you know, maybe perhaps. Right. So, so those are, so when people have come, you know, I've had so many times when people have done that, um, asking, can I pray for you? Can I pray for your healing? And there used to be times that used to really bother me. I try to be gracious about it now because there is a, there is a purity of heart. there, often of a desire for people to not be hurting. And I think that's what people in pain of all kinds, physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, healing from abuse, all of it, we get to cultivate over time an interior 
hospitality of heart where there's enough space inside my soul to be able to think of this person and where they're coming from and their own wounds that are making them direct their anxiety at me to ask to pray for my healing that I could actually be so connected to the heart of God within me that I could remember them when they come at me and be offer them a, a kindness of spirit and how I respond instead of just being angry that they're being dismissive of my pain is where I try to go. I try to cultivate that because ultimately we're all reckoning with pain and reckoning with the reality that we live in bodies that we cannot control and in bodies that will eventually die. And so I get to, in my presence with others, kind of invite them into a greater comfort with that reality and that Jesus is present in it. How do you do that? Cultivate that? Yeah. Well, especially if you're like in the moment. Well, it's not. Yeah. So in the moment, this is both a a prior (laughs) to and an in the moment sort of practice. So for me, the word practice is big. We, We get to practice things that help us show up with trust that God is with us and that we are good for what we're talking about right there. That kind of interchange of like being in community and people say really shitty things to you that they think are kind. And how are you going to respond? And could you be kind and gentle to them in response? Well, that takes both practice beforehand of cultivating time and space where I am still before God. And I have a space in my heart that knows I'm loved, even if I'm not healed. And so for me, that looks like centering prayer practice and taking it seriously, having times of silence and solitude every day. That's practice beforehand so that I'm able to come into community with space, enough spaciousness inside my soul to love both myself and others. But then there's the practice of showing up in the moment. And I can take every moment, you know, that I am with another Christian to, to practice being in that awkward conversation and bumbling through it and offer just a little bit more love than I did last time, a little bit more understanding to think of their perspective to, and, and often what it looks like is remembering my body, remembering that when somebody comes at me and says, have you prayed for healing? And I feel so offended by that because I do feel offended. Right. You, you just, people can't see us, but you just went back. Yeah. That, we, you know, you're going to clench up, you clench up when someone says something like that to you. If I remember my body and that I feel a little offended in that moment, and so I feel a little bit of fight, flight, or freeze going on, or fawn, faking, I can take that second to breathe and to acknowledge that I feel pretty uncomfortable within me. I'm just within myself, taking a breath, helping my body calm, and then I can be a little bit more kind. Something you said, a beat back, was I am loved even though I'm not healed. And I definitely physically choked up. How did you come to that 
place and is it something that is still a ongoing struggle yes so the statement that i am loved even if i am not healed even though i am not healed is both a confession of truth and a aspiration of belief confession of reality is also something that has to be cultivated like i have to cultivate that truth so the the truth of my connectedness to god and his sight of me and his acceptance of me is secure and real and my perception of that is what is shifting based on my circumstances based on my story and the grace of god is that i can we can shift our awareness of what is true and what is real and here again and again so that we have an increasing awareness and experience of the truth that we are loved no matter what that is the gospel and that is what the invitation is in our stories and i actually think that our suffering and even our stories of spiritual abuse and dealing with the ongoing losses and limits that come with it and it puts us into a position of being awake not living numb anymore to the love of god but the feelings of the lack of that love and the ways that love has been made into something that is sick that actually wakes us up to something greater so the pain that we experience can be a prick a prompt that wakes us up and i think paying attention to pain paying attention to the the deep well of inner loss that we've experienced and the way that gets triggered throughout every single day is the very thing that helps us engage the story of a God who chose to suffer and die on our behalf and is within us. So I guess that's the beginning of an answer. Yeah. <laughs> As I think of where is the hope for the church and I am so discouraged regularly when I see pain after pain after pain and I hear your story and I know 30,000 other stories and have my own story but then when I hear you talk about just a greater awareness of love and then what the lack of love can do that gives me hope for the church okay maybe the hope for the church are the sufferers and I think that that is actually just in line with the what the story has always been because Jesus chose to suffer and Jesus in his life always went to those on the margins those are whom God spent his time with on earth we who are on the margins of the church are carrying 
the love of God into this world. And I think many in power would like us to forget that and to believe that that is not true. But my experience of hearing countless stories tells me that it's those on the margins who most know the heart of God and can hold space for that heart to be known in every aspect of human experience. That brings me to another question. And as a therapist, you'll probably have insight into this. The, the common adage, hurting people hurt people. And the, the overwhelming number of abusers who were abused themselves. And the a theory that I'm working on is especially in denominations that are more male dominated and that that is protected. The male domination is protected. That That is a draw for men with father wounds that never had that father wound healed. And then they get into this space where they don't have to have it healed. And then they inflict that pain on others. Mm-hmm. They've suffered. So on one hand, it can be a superpower. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, it can lead to perpetuation of abuse. Yeah, it can be I, a superpower or it can be a sword. Yes. I don't have an exact question. That's okay. <laughs> I have many thoughts. Great. Go for it. Well, I think your, your theory is dead on that there are unhealed hurts and wounds that are the very reason why so many seek these positions of power so that they can know that they have a place. And because the thing is we all hurt and we all want to be loved and we all want to belong. Belonging is what we want and long for and what we were made for. And every, every abuser, including my own, is a person who needs desperately to know that they are loved by God. And what happens because of so many reasons, but one of which is the way that our systems reinforce this narrative, is that pain becomes something that has to be protected against at all costs instead of experienced as a place where God is present and transforming us. And we, so we like, we push our pains away and they're not allowed to be part of our stories and they become things that we have to hide or dismiss or conceal. And so we have, you know, thousands probably the majority of of pastors that might be an audacious statement but walking around with stories of shame and pain that are mostly unacknowledged and then you're the way that our egos work is that we tend to have this need to you know cover up and hide and make ourselves look more put together than we are. And then the system self-protects and 
set and kind of put you in a spot where if you show weakness, you're not worthy enough to be in a position of leadership. And so there's great fear that if you showed people how hurt you really are, you won't have a place anymore and your whole soul will crumble. So I just think that is the reality for most leaders and it's not acknowledged. And the other side of what you said, the statement hurt people hurt people. It is both true and it is both used to gaslight Mm. so many people. And so what's coming up in me, what came up in me as you said that was just the need to name the way that those who have, those who are naming our wounds and our hurts are being gaslit by statements like that, Mm. where it makes your hurt something that's not allowed within the church because it's only going to cause more harm and there's nothing farther from the truth so we need to have great nuance and care when we use statements like that no i really appreciate you saying that and i think that like with any adage elements of truth to them can then be twisted and used for harm absolutely whoever's wielding it and yeah. and I think that this might be why your book is very timely and very needed because, and I, I had this thought literally just now, but if we create a culture where it's not safe to express pain or there are certain pains that are okay and certain pains that are not. And we pick and choose which ones are socially acceptable Uh and we create that. Then we create a space where shame is then attached to pain. And then that unaddressed shame and that unaddressed pain is the soil in which abusers grow. And so your book is so important because it's all about being in the pain. That's how I'm interpreting it. You know, you're right. I mean, basically that is the unnamed um, point of the book that most haven't seen. (laughs) Thank you for seeing it. Is that like, this is, it's a, I'm trying to give a bit of an upstream antidote to cultures of spiritual abuse. Not like, I don't, I don't want us to let this continue to happen. And if we can create communities and relationships in which it is safe to name our pain and share it and see it, to share our weakness, Mm -hmm. so much less abuse will happen. Yeah, I agree with that. The image that's popping in my head, the counter image that's popping into my head, is a woman overtaking a small group with her tears yeah. and with her ailments and with her complaints. And then we know that happens. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so in, in light of the fact that that happens, I'm sure some well-meaning of, and I mean, I've had, you know, I've, 
gone through training on how to navigate yeah. small groups and navigate people who have a habit of overtaking the, you know, yeah. and, and that training is good. And so how do we navigate these situations where, and I, I've heard this said, and I, I have mixed feelings about it, but pastors who use their pulpits as, a, as therapy, like, and that's said in a, in a negative way, like don't use your pulpit as therapy. Mm-hmm. And I have mixed feelings about that because why, yes, I don't, I don't think that you need to use your congregants as your therapist. At the same time, the most powerful sermons I have ever heard are the ones when the pastors are vulnerable about their own personal yes. struggles. Yep. There are two questions in there. Yes, there are. Take it away, KJ. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'll go back to the, the woman crying in a small group and people feeling like she's taking time over. And I guess my first thought is we need to be, we need to practice being much more comfortable with awkward situations than we are. Our sense of decorum and what is okay and not okay keeps us from bearing witness to people where they are. And I think of Jesus and I think of the people that he healed. I think of where he spent his time. And I think we are judgmental assholes. Because we look at a woman like that and we see her as inconvenient and frustrating and dysregulated. And we have all sorts of words for her. And yeah, she needs to learn how to hold her story in a way that's safer and more that doesn't take up all the space and all the oxygen in the room, but perhaps she got that way because we let her because she was silenced and she wasn't given space to tell her story and she wasn't given space to cry her tears. That's on us. That is on us and not on her entirely. And so I think that in our small groups, our, our, our times when we're with one another, a good indicator, like a litmus test for us of where to come near and where to pull back is to like hold just a little bit more space for awkwardness, hold a little bit more space for discomfort. I'm not saying that everything needs to be a free for all because it doesn't. But I think that if we could give people a little bit more room to cry those tears and take up a little space. Oh, God forbid we don't get through the whole Bible study today. You know, God forbid, God forbid we let someone cry for 20 minutes. Right. What is more holy than a person's tears? So yeah, I think we, we really need to cultivate a little bit more comfort with the things that are uncomfortable And that over time, those relationships will become more okay and calm. Like that norm is going to shift it. Anyway, I could keep talking about that kind of example forever, but I, I don't, 
I think that the way that we shame that woman for her tears is pretty indicative of our sin and that we have a responsibility to change the norm so that it doesn't have to be that she takes up space in that way. Her taking up space in that way is a symptom of our sickness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And definitely indicative that maybe this particular community didn't silence her, but she was silenced at some She's point. been silenced somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And her pain needs to be heard and seen and yeah i'm not saying that small group is the best place for it to be heard and seen for all of time mm-hmm. but i am saying that we need to think more carefully and don't immediately go happening. to this is awkward and how do i get this to stop right because when you do that i cannot tell you the number one thing the number one pushback i get from my readers not just of the book but just of like instagram posts newsletter whatever is they hear me talk about community and they're like how do you have friends like that when i've shared my pain with people they'll say i it's dismissed no one wants to hear it those people who tell me their story and and say they don't think they can try again at sharing their pain and their sorrow with others within the church because of how many times they've been dismissed they are that woman and it not, almost nothing more breaks my heart than that we, by our judgment against people's displays of emotion mm. and brokenness, we are driving them out of the church's doors. Amen. So. Good stuff. I'm ready for that to change. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yep. Hey, it's one of the reasons why I'm took a break from church after leaving a spiritually abusive community is I'm like, I cannot do the plastic smile right now. Just can't. Nope. Can't. You can't. <laughs> yeah. Got no and I, room in my life for that. So Yeah. And I, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but me too. You know, I too needed to take a break from church, from going physically because there are times in our life, particularly with regard to experiencing spiritual abuse, where it, because of the nature of the abuse itself, we have to slice apart part of ourselves in order to stand inside a church and act like everything is fine when it is not fine. And that does something very deeply wrong to a human body and a human soul. And sometimes we need to have time away from gathering physically with the church in order for our bodies to heal and come back together for the parts that have been divided in order to survive, to come back together so that we can come back physically more whole and not be constantly triggered and dysregulated when we come back and and i think we that's not talked about enough that sometimes you need to take space so that you can be part of the body long term mm-hmm. so i'm glad that you took space yourself yeah and i 
yeah, I definitely, that's something I'm very passionate about is if you're in those doors and it's causing you pain and you're being triggered, don't, don't, don't keep, don't keep doing it. Don't, don't. You are not a limb to sacrifice on the altar of someone's kingdom. Exactly. God Mm -hmm. does not, God does not need you to be there right now. He just, he doesn't, he's, he's okay. He's good. (laughs) And he still loves you. Yes. And he still loves you even when you can't go there. Mm -hmm. God is not disappointed in you. Mm -hmm. I think you said that in your book about where two or three are gathered, like Christ is in their midst and like, Mm -hmm. boom, church. It's true. And, you know, I like, I love the local church. I believe in the local church and I, and I believe, and I have a high view of the sacraments, all of that, but we lose sight of the realness of the fact that the Holy Spirit lives within us and dwells among us. Mm-hmm. And there is a tangibility of the love of God that happens when we see each other's faces, even when there are two or three. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we don't, we do not discount that. Yeah. Who are listening. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Final question. And then we can wrap up, I guess, take a stab at the, the therapy sermons. What do you think of pastors? Oh yeah. Sharing personal, personal yeah. stories and sermons. Well, you know, you read my book, which is essentially a sermon. And <laughs> in a way, in a way, I believe firmly in the power of story and in authenticity in our humanness being the heart of our message and in sharing who we really are. And so I have a deep suspicion and mistrust of sermons and forms of teaching that are overly intellectual that that only engage one part of ourselves we are more than walking heads and we are embodied stories with hearts that beat and lungs that breathe and eyes that cry and children that die and bodies that break and things that go wrong and the whole of human experience probably needs to be expressed from the pulpit in order for the whole of the church to know the heart of God. So yeah, I don't, I think that of course um, the pulpit can be misused to fill a gaping hole in someone's ego where they, they haven't been sufficiently heard and seen interpersonally in the kinds of relationships that we've been talking about and that I talk about in my book, but, and that's, that's very true and that can happen. So people can use their human stories in a way where they're, they're trying to seek affirmation and validation through sharing from a larger stage or a larger platform. And that leads to abuse because that's a, that's a commodification of the self and then a commodification of the congregation mm-hmm. that they are there to fill a hole 
and the and the pastor has made himself into or herself into a product. So yeah, that happens. But in so much that the preaching of God's word is an overflow of a person's real, authentic, consistent wrestling with God and being known in his body in real relationships. There should be tears from the front. There should be things that make us squirm. And that is where the spirit of God moves and heals and makes us new. So I guess that's my take on it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Authentic story, but not emotional manipulation. Yeah. And the key is being, the key is, and it's the same. It's the same with the pulpit as it is with platforms. So as an author, this is stuff that, you know, I wrestle with and I, and I pay attention to both with my own life and how I write and share things as I do, you know, watching other authors. And it's the same dynamic of you can, you can use your story or you can share your story. Hmm. And there's very, very subtle, but very real difference. And in so much as our stories are an overflow of the grace of God and the grace that comes in wrestling, they are things that will grow new life in the body of Christ. In so much as our stories are being used to advance, to fill a hole, to make us feel heard or special or important, those stories are going to bear fruit. Those, the, the words of preaching or of platform building or writing, whatever, are going to bear fruit that rots, both How personally so? and in the body. Yeah, I mean, it's going to bear fruit. I think when we, that interior state that leads to a pastor, you know, preaching in a way that is using the pulpit as therapy in the bad way, or an author using their social media to sound really expert and great, but maybe mm-hmm. in, but maybe privately they aren't known by their mm-hmm. friends mm-hmm. or repenting mm-hmm. of sin or treating people like shit. The fruit the their work bears in on some level mm-hmm. our work, because we all are we're all, including me you know, vulnerable to this, Mm -hmm. that fruit turns people into less than people. Mm -hmm. It makes, it creates a codependent relationship wherein I give you, I sell you something and you give me validation in return. And I give you words and you need those words to feel good about yourself and know Jesus and there's a codependency there that is not what God would have for us. God wants interdependent relationships where both parties come to the table as equals. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Those are yeah. These are all just random thoughts. No, I love it. Yeah, I think I said earlier that I some of the most powerful sermons I've ever heard is when people are using their own stories and telling their own stories, their own personal experience of 
whatever the topic is. And then I've also seen pastors use the tears and the emotion. And, and this, this was one of the, the issues with the, the senior pastor of the church that I recently left was he would give these powerful emotional sermons and the congregants would leave in tears and they would, they would think, oh, that was just such a wonderful sermon, but they had no idea that he was directly targeting yes. the staff or the elders or his dissenters. Yeah, he was so good at it. And yeah, so on one hand, it could be very powerful, but like you said, it can also be used. And that yep. is probably one of the most, ugh, I get chills just thinking about it, using a vulnerable story to manipulate someone and to get, to achieve a certain agenda, that is, ugh. It's disgusting. Ugh. It is disgusting, and yet it is also something so common within American culture that we are all vulnerable to it. And I think it just points us back to the need to tear down our idols, to not put people so high up onto pedestals where they give us so much of a sense of security these these pastors these leaders these authors whatever because ultimately every single one of us is human we come back to this where we started at the beginning every single one of us is human and hurting and has wounds we're fallible we hurt and we put far too much of our trust and our ability to be connected to God into a like unexamined, I don't think we realize we're doing this, it's unexamined, allegiance to particular people in power when we have Jesus himself and the spirit within us. So we have to be very suspicious of our own heart's yeah. desire to find security in powerful people and to find our sense of belonging in the place that they will give us. We already belong in God's family because Jesus says so. Mm -hmm. Thinking of what your podcast is about. I just want people to know who are listening that they are not alone and you are not crazy because of how much you hurt. And I pray that you who are listening would have courage to name what you've lived. And I pray that you would have courage to hope that you are still part of God's family and that there are people like us who are seeking health too. I pray that you would be filled with hope and I pray that you would keep being honest in your grief about how much this hurts because your tears are seeds that 
God will use to grow into new life. And we need them. The whole church needs your tears. Uh, You're not the only ones who are crying. We are Mm. too. Amen. This podcast supports tearsofeden.org, a community and resource for those in the aftermath of spiritual abuse. If you know someone who might benefit from the material of the podcast or the website, feel free to share it with them. And I'll send you access to a 10-minute mindfulness meditation when you subscribe to the mailing list of tearsofeden.org. Finally, I want to invite you to take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review on your favorite podcasting listening apparatus. I'll see you next time.